Good morning. Welcome to our third Ask the Pastor Sunday. And before we dive in, Ernie's going to ask questions once again. Grab your bulletin real quickly. We want to make you aware. A couple things that are happening. The budget, the ministry action plan for 2013 is in the bulletin. If you want to look at that, I would encourage it. We'll be voting next week at the conclusion of each service on the 2013 ministry action plan. Also want to make you aware of an opportunity you have to help one of the missionaries that we support. Jack and Janine Swanson do an awesome job in Chile, and they have 10 marble nativity sets that are for sale for $30 each, and all the money raised goes to their mission. There's information about it in the bulletin. Karen Rice is in the back in the foyer, and she has those available, and they will go like hotcakes. So if you want one, do not hesitate. We're going to kind of do the same thing we did the last time. I think that was on New Year's Day. Ernie's going to ask me some questions. I'm going to try to answer them, and we'll see where this goes. So Mr. Harvey. That's the first time he's ever called me Mr. Harvey in his entire lifetime, so I prefer Reverend or Holy One. But anyhow, um, talk a little bit about the tree real quick, Greg. I know some people were here last Sunday, but some people weren't here last Sunday, so talk about that. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but talk about it. Yeah, that's fine. Last week we had a special Thanksgiving service, and Jim Koontz and his creative team came up with the idea to have a barren tree in the middle of our stage. And in each bulletin last week, you received a green piece of paper, half sheet of paper that said, I'm thankful for the day because, and then during our commitment time, we invited you, if you would like to, to come forward after having filled that out and hang it on the tree. And I think we counted over 200, 250, mm. something like that. It was an overwhelming response and we decided to leave it up for one more week. That's our Thanksgiving tree. And the good news is a bigger and better tree is coming. That'd be a lot easier to decorate, but that's okay. All right, here we go. All right. All right, here we go around again. All right. Uh, Is there a way to know all of the ministries that are out the church? And I'm a young adult trying to find a small group, and people direct us to other groups, not theirs. Why is that? Okay, the the first question I would answer this way. We have published the 2012 Ministry Team Reports 2013 Ministry Action Plan. This is about 12, 13 pages. It's available at the Welcome Center. It's available in the foyer. It's available in the church office. And what this does, Ernie, is it documents every ministry team, what they are doing, the ministries that are unfolding as a result of that. This is a great place to start. The best thing this individual could do, whoever they are, would be to probably seek out someone like yourself or myself, one of the ministry staff, and we could sit down with them and try to figure out where they feel God has gifted them, what their passions are, and then try to steer them in the right direction. We talk a lot about every member ministry, and if you're not involved in a ministry of some sort, you're missing out. And we would love to have that meeting. I love to sit down with people and talk with them about different ministry opportunities that are out there. And I I will just say we're going to get to this a little bit later. There are several of our ministries that are always in need of volunteers. Now, the second question is a little more tricky. Um, One of the things that makes small groups function well is they are small groups. Right. And... um, You know, a group probably should never stay together for eternity, but at the same time, and I don't know what that number is, but when a group goes from being small to maybe a medium size or a large size group, you lose something in in the mix. Adam Brucker has started a couple new small groups, and I know Chris and Lindsay Moody have been really instrumental in making that happen, and we're looking at starting additional small groups, but that can be a frustration. I understand that. 
Uh, one of the things I throw out, I just met with a couple that's new to our community and new to our church last Sunday night, and they were asking about groups, and I really encouraged them to make a commitment to start attending a Sunday school class. Mm -hmm. And I recommended Larry Roberts' class. Um, I've recommended Norma Harold's class, Judy Shaw's class. There's several great classes that are out there. Um, Roger and Jan Dial are doing a wonderful job. Adam leads a class. Uh, I lead a class. Uh, that's a great place to find fellowship and really good study of God's Word as well. Sure. One thing you mentioned, Greg, and I want to highlight it as well. A lot of this is available at the information desk. Absolutely. And so the list of the classes, Sunday school classes, and also the ministry team report right. is um, available at the information yep. desk you as well. It. All right. This is a long question, but it's important, so I want to read yep. it for you. Thought the service was great when the elders lay hands on Carson Cheatham to be ordained. Why don't we follow the practice of laying hands and using anointing oil as referred to in James 5, 13 through 16? I know the elders went out to minister to Sue Turney at one time, as she, as she also testified at an AM service. Yeah, let me read James 5, 13 to 16. Here's what it says. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And, and my answer to that is that has taken place. Um, I, I have never had a request in the six and a half years that I have ministered with this church where someone said, will the elders come and will they lay hands on this person that is sick or on me? I've never had the eldership say, no, I don't think we want to do that. At the same time, and this will rub some people the wrong way, so I want to be careful how I say this, physical healing on the earth is really no big deal in terms of eternity. It's really no big deal in terms of what our purpose is. I believe God can heal anyone he wants to. I believe miracles still happen today. Mm -hmm. Sue Turney had a great testimony. As a result, she, she really thinks that the Lord blessed her and healed her during that time. I think at the same time, if we think life on earth is the ultimate, we don't have a kingdom perspective in many ways. So I, I would just say to you, if you're out there and, and you would like that to happen, I, I know our elders, they'd be glad to do it. But at the same time, I would encourage everyone to make sure we embrace what I would call a kingdom perspective. Bad things happen to God's people. Sure. I hate disease. I wish it wasn't the case. Um, cancer makes me angry, quite honestly. But at the same time, we have to look at sickness and health from a kingdom perspective. And I believe that many of the healings that we read about that Jesus took part in or that his uh, apostles took part in after Jesus died and went to the cross and resurrected and ascended into heaven, they were really intended to give credence to the power of God and the difference that Jesus makes. So I'm rambling right now, so no, cut me off. Save me. Oh, I'd love to. Anyhow, all right. All right, this is an interesting question, so I'll be intrigued to the yeah, answer. Yeah. Why is tradition so bad? You know, tradition's not bad. We have a lot of traditions that, that are good and, and, and honorable, but they're traditions. And I'll give you one tradition right now that we're breaking. I'm here on a Sunday morning in a preaching kind of format wearing jeans and a sweater. And I know some of you don't like that at all, but, um, you know, 50 years ago, that wouldn't be the case. 50 years ago, those of you that are wearing sweaters and jeans or khakis, you'd be in a suit and tie in many mm -hmm. ways. 
Um, is that bad? Well, I, I don't think so necessarily. I had a suit on last week in many ways. I think traditions are good, but when we allow traditions to be authority for us as Christ followers, I believe we are missing the boat in terms of what matters most. We teach, the restoration movement teaches, that where the Bible speaks, we speak, and where the Bible is silent, we are silent. And I would say it this way, traditions come and traditions go. Um, one, one tradition that took place in churches for years and years and years and years was the reciting of the Lord's Prayer mm. every Sunday morning. One tradition that took place for years and years and years in many Christian churches was saying the pledges, the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag, the Christian flag, and the Bible. We still do that at, at Vacation Bible School yes. every year, by the way. I think my wife still does it with the primary kids in, in Sunday school. Um, is it bad to say the Lord's Prayer? Not at all. A absolutely not. Are we required to do it every Sunday morning to be good with the Lord? I, I don't believe that is the case. Right. Really Remember don't. the tradition growing up where the ushers would collect the money and yeah. then bring it back bring and lay it, it on the yeah. table? Yeah. yeah. I always wondered, did someone ever come up and, you know, kind of pilfer through the offering during that time? <laughs> Hopefully not. I don't think Hopefully so. Hopefully not. All right. This question came in this morning. Okay. And so I don't want to put you on the spot, put but I'm going to. Put me on the spot. Are the Jews still the chosen people? You know, that's an interesting question, and there are some, I won't name them, but there are two very prominent televangelists that I have personally heard with my ears, in essence, say, yes, they are, and all Jews are automatically saved and going to heaven because they are still God's chosen people. As I read the Bible, and especially as I read the New Testament, I think that when Jesus came, everything changed. And let me read a passage of Scripture Peter, one of Jesus' best friends at the end of his life, here's what he says to a group of Gentiles, a, a, a group of non-Jewish believers. Here's what he says to them. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And my answer is, we are all God's chosen people mm. if we accept the invitation to follow Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior. Savior is the easy part. Jesus saved me from my sins. Declaring that Jesus is my Lord and living my life as if Jesus is my Lord, that, that's a different ballgame altogether. So I, I would say simply by nationality, um, I, I don't see that playing out. I really don't. But I do see the invitation to each and every person that's here today. Sure. Maybe you're here because you have to be here. You're not buying the Christianity thing at all. I would tell you, God wants a relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. You can become part of God's chosen people. Okay. And that kind of leads into, what do you do when your spouse doesn't share the same faith yeah. as you? Yeah. That, that is, um, that's a heartbreaking situation, quite honestly. And I know men who have wives that aren't buying faith, and I know wives that have husbands that aren't buying the faith whatsoever, and it is a challenge, and I, I would encourage you to do three things. The first thing I would do is pray every single day for your spouse. Mm -hmm. Go out of your way to make that at the very, very top of your prayer list. N number two is go out of your way to model what the Christian life looks like. Now, let's be honest. We, we put on our happy faces and, you know, everybody's marriage is perfect on a Sunday morning at First Christian Church. We all have our moments where you're yelling at your wife or you're screaming at your husband. And I, I would just say to 
to those of you whose spouse does not share your faith, um, you've got a, an opportunity in front of you to continually and consistently model what it means to be a Christ follower. I, I know life is tough. I know life is difficult. But try to be the same person for Christ, you know, at 10 p.m. on Monday as you are at 8.15 on Sunday. And, and then the third thing is I really believe in interventions. I believe in trying to find people mm. that have a, a strong faith and, and encourage them to look for opportunities to reach out to the spouse. But that, that's, a, that's a sticky wicket. It really is. Sure. Hard to do. Has the church ever considered doing a Dave Ramsey program? You know, that's a great question. Dave Ramsey has kind of revolutionized the world of, I guess I would call it Christian finance in many ways. And his curriculum, Financial Peace University, has been used by several FCC members that went and studied at other churches. And I don't know who submitted this, but it really is a God thing because on Wednesday night, January, I think the date is January 30. I'm going off the top of my head here. That doesn't sound right. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's January 30. Um, we are launching Financial Peace University on Wednesday evenings. We're really excited that Andrew and Lindsay Haynes and Brett and Allison Hitchings are going to be leading that study, and it is going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. If you don't know much about that, look for more information in the weeks ahead. Uh, I've not been through it. I have heard D Dave Ramsey speak, and uh, many of his principles uh, I just agree with wholeheartedly. Yeah. we we got to hear his daughter speak. Yeah. at the CIY conference. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's really good. Awesome. And then also along yeah. with this question, somebody yeah. said, did you know November is National Adoption Month? I did not know that. Um, I knew that November 4 was Orphan Sunday, and uh, we had originally planned on doing some special things that day, and then I couldn't speak on October 21, and it kind of messed up the schedule. But look for uh, a special Sunday in the, in the months ahead focusing on orphans and adoption. Good. Good. Several weeks ago, you mentioned not being a program-driven church, but we have lots of programs. What in the world are you talking about? That's an actual question. That's what the question yeah, says. That, I did not make that up. That was okay. shared to me verbally after a Wednesday night study time where we looked at the concept of every member ministry. And the statement that I made, I believe, is that we should not be a program-driven church. We should be a purpose-driven church. And here's what I mean by that. Um, if you were to grab the Discovering FCC handout that we give to potential new members, people that want to know more about our church, we list our purpose as a church to glorify God, to win the lost, and to teach the saved. Worship, evangelism, and edification or nurture. Uh, I believe that everything we do as a church should revolve around one of these three purposes, mm. to glorify God, to win the lost, to teach the saved. When I say we shouldn't be a program-driven church, there should be no program that is such a sacred cow that even if it's not fulfilling one of our purposes, we continue to do it. That's where I think many churches have kind of uh, lost their way in many ways. They're so committed to a program or mm. programs that maybe at one point fulfilled a purpose. They're no longer fulfilling a purpose, but they're a program-driven church. So am I saying we're get, getting rid of Sunday school? Not at all. Absolutely not. Sunday school is a program that fulfills one of our purposes. Sure. But if we were as a leadership and as a ministry staff to sit down and to say, this is a program that started and you know, this was the goal and this was the dream and that goal and that dream is not being fulfilled and, and it is just kind of becoming something that's weighting us down in many ways, mm. um, I would have no problem at all moving from that program to another way of fulfilling our purpose in many ways. So we have a lot of programs. I'm glad we have a lot of programs, 
but the program is not what it's all about. Our purpose as Christ followers, to glorify God, to win the lost, to teach the saved, is what it's all about. Great. Okay. Good answer. Okay. All right. When will we be able to make our tithes online? That's a great question. I would just tell you there are many churches today that have giving kiosks in the foyer. I don't think that's probably happening anytime soon. ATM. but I know there has been discussion um, within the staff and within the finance team, and I have no idea is my answer, but I would love to see it happen because many of us, we pay our bills online. Sure. It'd be really nice to be able to, to tithe online as well. So we'll see. Is there a biblical stance on that either way? I don't think so. Okay. Right. Give <laughs> I just want to be see, cheerful. I just want to see how you answer yeah. that. That's yeah. not a question. All right. Really? Yeah, okay. I know. I just made that up myself. All right. With, with all you talk about on how, you, how do you keep your faith when people beat you down because of your views? Don't you ever get down because it doesn't show? I pray, but sometimes I'm still down there. It's so very hard to ask people to pray for me. Yeah, you know, life can be really discouraging. And I would say it like this. I think I'm like a lot of you. We go through mountaintop times and we go through valley times. Sure. And uh, I have had just a, a wonderful six plus years here at Clinton and many, 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 many more mountaintop experiences than, than times in the valley. But I absolutely get discouraged at times. And, you know, er- Ernie is one of my closer friends. Um, and, and, you know, we've shared with each other times when we've both kind of been struggling or discouraged in many ways. Um, I don't get discouraged if I feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do mm. and someone just disagrees with me. I, I preached a sermon um, in September about we're saved only by the grace of God. And I mean, I had someone in my grill right after the service, in essence, disagreeing with me theologically, mm-hmm. basically saying you can't earn your salvation. Well, that's not what my Bible says. So that didn't bother me a bit. A couple of people came up. Are you okay? Is everything okay? He was really going after you. It was fine. Not, not a problem at all. Um, when I get discouraged is when I have dreams or we have dreams for something and it doesn't pan out like we thought it was going to. Sure. I, I, I get discouraged. But I would say um, many more times than not, the blessings far outweigh the disappointments. And I would just say to whoever you are, um, remember the Thanksgiving tree. You know, try to take time to remember all the ways that God has blessed you and, and blessed your life. And more times than not, when we go through that simple exercise, the thing that maybe brought us down doesn't seem quite as extreme. Sure, sure. Does it go against God's word to be cremated at death, body turned to ashes? No, I do not believe that it does. Um, there, is, there is an instance in the Old Testament where because um, a, a grievous sin took place, um, the command of the Lord was to burn the bodies. And some people have said, well, then that means that the only time that you would burn the body is if there's been this awful sin that takes place. I think that's stretching scripture Mm. in many ways. And I've shared this before. I'm a big believer in the funeral process. I am deeply, deeply, deeply troubled um, with a trend that we see developing where people die and just kind of nothing happens at all. And People will say, well, that's not what I want when I die. Well, I would say the funeral's not for you. And I've used this illustration before. Um, My favorite aunt was my Aunt Betty from California. And she died in 1997. And her kids just decided, we're not spending the money. We're not doing anything. It's over. And I will still have times where I I forget that my Aunt Betty died. It's been Mm. 15 years in many ways. Um, So that's my opinion, I would say, on that. I do not believe that it's wrong to be cremated. But um, I, I am very thankful 
as crazy as that may sound, for the funeral process. Sure. Um, I think it helps the people that are left behind begin uh, the grieving process and then also the healing process. Mm -hmm. And funerals are hard no matter they are. who passes it away. It is difficult. There's no doubt about that. Right. But um, to me, I think that's a, a dangerous trend that I see developing. Sure. And just by the way, no one answered that for me. That's just my answer right there. So don't, don't think that anyone planted that seed with me. Okay. Are you satisfied with the attendance and size of the congregation? If not, what is your goal and how do you do that in a small town? You know, I am never satisfied, to be honest with you. Um, and I think that's kind of in the DNA of preachers in many ways. But something that I have really tried hard to do uh, is to focus less on numerical numbers and focus more on life change and, and ministry impact in many ways. It's difficult to do because we have that board and we look <laughs> at that board in many right. ways. And, you know, the good news is, you know, last week I think we had just under 700. And, you know, if we would have had just under 800, that's 100 more people that hear the good news of Jesus. That's 100 more people that get to participate in a special Thanksgiving service in many sure. ways. Um, you know, we are not in a town of 3 million people, and I understand that in many ways, but let's be honest, we all know people mm. living near us that need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I will say this, I don't think any program will ever spur crazy growth. I, I think if we ever experience what many people would call radical growth, it's going to be at your hands, quite honestly. Sure. It's going to be because... The church at large is so excited about what's happening. They're inviting their family, their friends, their cohorts. They're saying, come sit with me. This is something you have to be a part of in mm. many ways. But I'm never satisfied, but at the same time, um, very, very thankful for the legacy that First Christian Church has. Sure, sure. And, and I, I think we also get excited about the people that, that are able to come that Sunday. You know, oh, absolutely. You, you have many people that... It's hard sometimes to get out. It's you know, so we need to celebrate those who who do come every Sunday. And you know, and I, I, I want to reiterate this point. I love First Christian Church. It's an awesome church. I could write a top ten, top twenty, top thirty list of great things about First Christian Church. But we are one church of hundreds in central Illinois that, that I believe are trying their hardest to make a difference for the kingdom in many ways. I had someone in my office this week, and you know they were very complimentary of this and very complimentary of that, but they were telling me that they are really filled spiritually much more than another church. I, I think they thought I was going to give them a spiritual spanking. <laughs> I, I say praise the Lord in many ways. Sure. If you are not growing, you need to grow, quite mm -hmm. honestly. Now, church hopping, I think that's a dangerous game to start playing. There's, sure. no, there's no perfect church, I would say. But um, at the same time, I think there's an awful lot that we can rejoice with at First Christian Church. All right. This is a not a trick question, but a question that could go either way. Yeah. What is the church teaching about the Sabbath, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. since it's one of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, let's just go there real quickly. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 20. It is one of the Ten Commandments. And here's what Exodus chapter 20 says. If I can find it, I'm not flipping very quickly this morning. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, animals, nor the alien within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I would say this, we are no longer bound by the law 
in that, and, and you know this, maybe, maybe you know this, we went through the Ten Commandments a couple years ago, um, living under the Old Covenant, you couldn't do anything on sure. the Sabbath day. From sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, if you were dyeing cloth purple, and that cloth was not completely dry by sundown Friday, that was a sin. I mean, you want to talk about legalism, that was legalism. I do not believe we are bound by that kind of legalism. So you can't go to your neighbor this afternoon that's mowing their grass or raking their leaves and say, you are sinning. I don't believe that at all. At the same time, contemporary Christianity um, is really doing a disservice to itself because most of us never experience any Sabbath whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. Sure. You need time to rest spiritually. Many times when we think about the Sabbath, um, from a legalistic standpoint, we think, okay, I can't do any work on Sunday, so I'll go to the lake and fish, or I'll, I'll go to the <laughs> baseball game and watch the Cubs lose, or what, whatever it may be along those lines. And the principle here in Exodus 20 that we need to put into place in our lives today is that I'm not going to go to work today, not so I can sit home and watch Matlock reruns, but so I can really grow in the Lord, so I can spend time in His Word so I can spend time in prayer. We have people in our church that I think practice the Sabbath exceptionally well, and they don't want me to name their names, but I, I've seen them, for instance, out at Little Galilee, just going on a prayer walk, two, mm. two and a half hour walk through God's creation, praying, reading scripture, encouraging one another. Um, so do we need to practice the principle of the Sabbath? Absolutely. Yes. Can you mow your grass this afternoon? I would say yes, you can. I'm going to use this question today because April wants me to put up Christmas lights, so I'm going to tell her it's the Sabbath and I can't do it. So, all right. Why, sorry. Why with a church this large, are there not more volunteers for children's ministry? Mm -hmm. Does our church really not care that much about the kids? Mm -hmm. It's the same people all the time. We're going to burn out all of the wonderful volunteers. That sounds like that might have come from someone that's working in the children's I, ministry. <laughs> Boy, Greg, can't get anything past you, can we? All well, right. Here's what I would say. We need lots of volunteers Amen. to facilitate the programs that take place at First Christian Church. And I'll just say it again. If you're not serving, there is a place for you. I, I would just kind of turn it back to you. I know I'm supposed to be the one answering all the questions. Um, why do you think it is such a struggle for certain programs to find people to make the commitment to plug in and to serve? I'm not, in the children's ministry. Yeah, in the I children's ministry. And I'm not trying to let anybody off the hook by saying mm -hmm. this, but I think we have a lot of people that have done it for so long, and they're so very faithful, and they still continue to be faithful. Mm -hmm. I think there's a twofold answer. I think some of the younger couples that are coming up are too, feel like they're too busy. Okay. But I think number two is, I think some people don't feel like they can do what many of the other people have done for so long. And yeah. so they don't feel like them committing to even six weeks. If somebody came up to yeah. me and said, Ernie, I can only do six weeks. I'd love to have them Plug for them six in. weeks. Yep. Exactly. Yep. But yep. I think for many people, they feel like it has to be a lifetime commitment. And it doesn't yeah. have to be a lifetime commitment. And I would just say, you know, every church is one generation from extinction. Obviously, that's not a statement meant to be a dig at our church. No. We have a lot of young people plugged yes. in. But we could name the volunteers, oh. like you're talking about, that have served for decades. Yes. And they probably won't be serving a decade from now. Exactly. So we are going to have to to get serious about yeah. that. But I, I would just, you know, I can't drive it home enough. If you're not serving, there's a place for you. Well, and I think many people don't feel qualified. And, and you're qualified. If you love Jesus, you're qualified. Question. All right. Last question. 
All right. Again, long question here, but I'll read it because yeah. it's important. Yeah. Why do you never preach on the rapture? The Bible tells us we will receive rewards in heaven when we reach there. Why do you never preach on Bible prophecy? We are living in the last days. The Bible tells us to warn my people. Have you ever read the, I can't really, Harbenberger, God is warning America. Okay, here would be my answer to that. Um, I, I think this individual, I don't know who this comes from, but I think this individual is referring to the theology based behind the Left Behind series. Anybody here seen the Left Behind series? It's, it's the idea that there's going to be a rapture and the Christians are going to go to heaven and then there's going to be you know, a time on earth where everyone else is going to be left and it's going to be this great period of tribulation. And during this period of tribulation, people will in essence have a second chance to either turn to the Lord or turn to you know, the Antichrist, whoever is in charge during that day. Um, that's premillennial dispensational theology. Write that down and repeat it five <laughs> times. Um, the interesting thing about that is for the first 1,800 years plus after Jesus ministered on the earth, this concept had never been heard of. And it was actually a 15-year-old girl by the name of Margaret MacDonald that first brought this concept, this, this pre-tribulation rapture into the forefront. And it's really taken off in many ways. I mean, the left behind movie book i mean it, it's entertaining I'll, I'll give it that i think it's theologically incorrect but i mean it is entertaining in many ways here's my take on end times jesus is coming back and you better be ready hmm. and i better be ready i think that you read the words of jesus you read the words of jesus about the parable of the sheep and the goats um when he comes back i, I think it's judgment day and I don't think there's going to be a second chance. I really do not. I love the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's what he says. The Lord himself will come down from the heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. And after that, those who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That sounds like judgment day to me. In First Peter chapter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter three. Let me find it here. This is a, a verse many will be familiar with. Friends, don't forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And I think the point that Peter is making, the point that Paul is making, the point that Jesus was making is, I am coming again, and you better be ready. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I would throw this in here again. I don't know who submitted this question. If you come to First Christian Church and you walk away on Sunday morning without hearing us drive home the point mm. that Jesus is the only way, we have failed. Sure. The reason we do an invitation every week is because I want to remind all of you, Jesus is the only way. If you know Jesus, K-N-O-W, you will know peace. You will know hope. If there is no Jesus in your life, N-O, there's no hope. There's no peace. There's no life. So th that's kind of the question that we wanted to transition into our um, time of commitment. 
And again, we want to thank you all for coming out today. We got through about half the questions once again, so we'll save them for next time. Sure. But um, I'm going to pray, and then Jim's going to come and lead us in our song of commitment. Let's pray. God, thank you for today, and thank you for blessing us so much. And thank you for the opportunity to answer questions. Um, thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. your son. Thank you for the hope that he brings us. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As Greg said earlier, if, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we offer this invitation to you. We try to say it every Sunday, and, and again, Greg said it this morning, is that Jesus is the only way. You, you can listen to television and you'll hear people say things that just are not true. You know, people, people say, well, you shouldn't say it that way. You, you should maybe be tolerant of this and tolerant of this. And it, it's, it's nothing about tolerance. It's just all about Jesus. And so our prayer for you is that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. And if he's not, we offer this invitation to you as we stand together and sing. here with us today. I want to remind you that there's no programming tonight that you might just be able to spend time with your family and friends. I want to do something that we've not done in a while and I just decided to do it. Why don't we all just gather in together and hold hands. If we can do that, just the sides kind of, everybody just close in together and we just want to pray together as one big body of Christ. And so just squeeze in, just squeeze in together. Oh, let's pray together. Father, we love you so very much. And there's just something about being together. And so, Father, we simply say thank you for this time that we have had together. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for all that Jesus does for us. And, Father, we give you the praise and the glory until you come again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.